If you would, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 2, if you haven't already. Romans chapter 2, we're going to jump right in and, and read this passage uh, directly here. We're going to look at verses uh, 1 through 16. If you've been tracking with us, we've been uh, taking up the book of Romans here this fall, even though it doesn't feel like fall outside. Uh, we've been uh, tracking through, we made it through uh, chapter 1, and this morning we're going to begin looking into chapter 2. So as you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 1, we'll read through verse 16. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you pass judgment, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. For when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and of your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show, they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their consciences are bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Would you pray with me? Father God, this is, these are strong words um, that the Apostle is, is sharing with us this morning. And we come to you, uh, many of us feeling tired and uh, worn out from the past week, or maybe worn out because we're anticipating what the week ahead of us uh, holds for us. But nevertheless, we pray that your word would uh, speak to us, and that the promises and the truth, the reality of you would um, be our peace uh, a peace uh, because you are good and you're gracious. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Would you please be seated? When we lived in uh, Mississippi, we lived in a town that was, it was a relatively small town. It wasn't that big. Uh, not a lot of traffic except uh, the weekdays uh, in the mornings. You had that kind of morning rush hour traffic uh, we have uh, two children, we've got an older and a younger, and at this stage in their lives, uh, they were both going to different schools. 
And so we had to tag team it because they started basically at the same time. So I would take one and my wife would take the other to school. And so I took our daughter, got her in the car, seatbelt on, and we head out, pulling out of uh, the neighborhood. And we have to pull onto this, this main road, if you want to call it that, or busy road in town. And it's right in front of our neighborhood. And so we're uh, at that intersection and I need to turn left to go to uh, her school. And so I've got all this oncoming traffic coming at me on my left-hand side, and most people are just driving past, but every once in a while, somebody will turn uh, right to turn into the neighborhood that I'm pulling out of. And what was frustrating about that is, is I'm in a hurry, usually we're late, and we're trying to get to school, and there's all this traffic, and it, you, know, you just feel you got to get going. And cars would be coming by, and every once in a while, you'd have some car that was coming at me on my left, and they would just turn on their right into the neighborhood with no signal. And it was so frustrating because if they would just signal, I would know that I could pull out and make this and shoot this gap and get out onto traffic. And so many days I'd, I'd take her to school and I've made the dangerous trip, dropped her off, and I come back uh, to the neighborhood and I just turn right. And as I turn right into the neighborhood, I realize I didn't put my turn signal on. And I think, ah, not a big deal. In essence, that's what this, this passage is about. You know, we are over-the-top critical and frustrated uh, and quick to point out other people and what they've done wrong. But when we hold that, hold, hold that same standard up to ourselves, we just kind of like, well, you know, not that big a deal. Uh, last week and the past couple of weeks, we've been in uh, Romans and we've looked at Romans 1 uh, to the point where you're probably tired of Romans 1. And uh, Paul is, is, is starting in that uh, section particularly, he's telling us the, the bad news of the gospel. He's telling us that the bad news first. He's going to get to the good news, and he's given us glimpses of that good news here and there, particularly in verses 16 and 17. But Paul still in chapter 2 here, he's saying you still need the bad news, if you will. You, you still need to hear some words. It's like Paul is saying, you know, that the good news of the gospel is not going to be good to you until you let the bad news sink in, until you let uh, the, the, this bad news, let the, there be a mirror kind of in front of your heart, in front of your life, in front of your mind, where you're still reflecting on who you are and your needs. And chapter 2 is, is, is driving us in that direction, still holding up for us that, that mirror for us to examine ourselves and to examine our hearts and how we're living and what we're saying and what we're doing. Sometimes we don't even realize it. So what I want to do with this passage is really just make two simple points, um, but two maybe cutting points uh, for us. First, I want to talk about how we judge, how we judge others, how that happens. And then we're going to look at, lastly, is how God judges us, uh, God judging us, what that looks like and what that, what that means. So first, uh, judging uh, others or judging for ourselves, uh, you might uh, say. Uh, Paul, in this passage, the person that he's describing in chapter 2 is really completely different from the person he's been describing at the end of chapter 1. The, 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 the man or woman in the, in the end of chapter 1, it's, it's been the individual who uh, knows uh, what's right and wrong, but they suppress that truth, remember the exchange, uh, they don't want to worship God the creator. They want to worship creation. They want to worship something else, set up their own idols. 
And they are going about uh, living lives upside down from God's Word, you might say, doing all these unnatural things. And they're even to the point where it, they don't care if other people are doing right and wrong, and they're even, it's, it has, even has the feel that they're condoning that uh, with other people. But you get to chapter 2, and it's a different person. Uh, this person in chapter 2, they, uh, they know right and wrong, and they're so, they so identify with right and wrong, or they so identify with the law, that they use that um, to judge others, to be critical of others. People at chapter 1, they didn't care about the law. They, if you want to do what you want to do, that's great. But in chapter 2 here, it's taking the individual that uh, knows right and wrong, is holding that law up and being critical or being judgmental or condemning towards uh, others. So here's the thing about people who set themselves up as, as judges. So we do a little, a little background here for a moment. To judge somebody else, you have to have an understanding of right and wrong yourself. In chapter 1, there, there was that right and wrong, but it was uh, suppressed. Uh, there was that right and wrong. There was a sense of it, it, Paul saying you can look at creation. There's an understanding of who God is. There's an understanding that there is a God. In chapter 2, Paul gives us a, a, another hint, another uh, way of knowing that God is real because of what he says uh, in verse 14. He says, even, he says, indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. Paul's giving the impression that, to, that people don't even read the Bible, who may not have a Bible, they still have a sense of, of right and wrong. They still have a sense of the law, and that's something that God has placed on their hearts. And this is what I mean by that, and this is what I think Paul is trying to say to us. Uh, it is a, a, an observable fact that there are, there are individuals that, that maybe that you know that live in the world that have never read the Bible, don't hold to, the, the, to, to follow the Bible, that do not steal, that do not commit adultery, uh, that do not um, do things that the law forbids doing. They keep those things even though they've never read about those things. Why is that? How is that? Because of what God has, how God has created them. God has put this law onto their hearts. Look at verse 15 again. Paul writes, the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. And then Paul goes on to talk about something else. He talks about the conscience, how God is, is using the conscience in our lives. Uh, Christians from centuries past have described the conscience like this. Some have said it's, it's God's deputy and vice regent uh, with us. It's God's sergeant who uses to arrest the sinner. Uh, it's, our conscience is a witness declaring to us facts. Our conscience is, is a mentor prohibiting evil and giving standards. Or our conscience is like a judge telling us what we deserve. Our conscience is like that alarm bell that goes off that says this is not right. Or this is uh, a serious problem. You need to pay attention. You should not... Uh, be doing this. You shouldn't be moving in this direction. Now take all of this, uh, our understanding of the law and understanding of right and wrong, and what do we do with that understanding? Do we use it as a mirror to look into our own lives, or do we use it as a weapon to cut down other people? That's what Paul is asking us. And, and I think more often than not, we use that, that understanding of the law, understanding of, of righteousness, if you will, and we use that as a weapon on other people 
and, we're, and we are hesitant uh, to use it on ourselves. As I said before, I have two kids at home, and you know, every once in a while, I mean, rarely, they begin to argue, okay? And they fight and they bicker with one another. I mean, it's very rare. I mean, you know, it's hard. It's hard being their parents. And so we'll come to them and that, you know, one, the older is usually just kind of fired up and, and angry and impatient with the younger about a toy being left out or you came into my room or something, you know, really life-threatening. And we'll go up to them and we'll talk to them and we'll say, you know, you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't get angry and you need to be more patient with one another and so on and so forth. And, and they go and they, they're perfect from that moment on. But if you were to, to track uh, me... If you keep watching my life and watch how I respond to things or watch my wife, I'm going to get her involved. If you were just to watch me, you would see uh, how I'm quick to be impatient or I'm quick to, 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 to be angry. I'm getting on to them. I'm frustrated with them about how they're responding. And then I do the same thing and I think, well, it's not that big a deal. I'm the parent and, um, you know, they need to take this more seriously uh, than I do. You think about the, the opportunities, the circumstances that you are in where you are using that law, if you will, as a weapon to judge others and to be critical of others. And you're hesitant to use that same standard on yourself. It could be in your work environment. It could be your home life. It could be in your parenting or with your spouse you do this. Think about this scenario. Let's say I give a, a group of of individuals, uh, no, no reading of the Bible, and I say, read the Sermon on the Mount. Read those three chapters. And I ask them, well, what do you think? Tell me what you think. Give me some reflection, some comments about that, that Sermon on the Mount and all the things that were in there. And they give a little pushback. They say, well, I don't, you know, I don't know if I want somebody telling me how to live this way or to do these kinds of things. I don't, I don't like this the boundaries that it's setting up and the rules and all those kinds of things. And then you say, okay. And then you begin to ask them, well, would you want to hang out with somebody that followed these things? Would you want to have a friend uh, that behaved like this towards you? What are they going to say? They say, yeah, I love somebody that doesn't hold grudges, that, that, that loves and is a sense of honesty and, and uh, single-mindedness and all the good qualities that are in that passage. You see what, see what our problem is, is that, that we want to tell other people, we want to hold a standard up for other people to live by. You need to be doing this. You need to be living this way. But we don't want that standard imposed upon us. We don't want to be held accountable to that standard, even though we want everybody else to be held accountable to that standard. That's a little bit about how we judge. Let's think about God's judgment uh, from this uh, passage What's the, the, the test or standard, maybe more specifically, that, that God is going to use with us? Verse 2, now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? What's he saying? He's saying... Paul is saying to them, you really think just because you know these standards and you're judging them by them that you are immune to those kind of criticisms, to those judgments. There's an apologist, uh, Francis Schaeffer, 
who talked about this passage as God's, God's, as God's invisible tape recorder. That, illust- that, that phrase, tape recorder, I know dates some of us. But he says, imagine a tape recorder that you wear around your neck. And it records everything you say and everything you're thinking. And at the, 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 la- the great last day, the great judgment day, uh, that tape is pulled out or those tapes are pulled out. And God says, I'm just going to judge you by what you hold up as the standard to be judged by. I'm not, gonna, I'm not bringing my own standards, my own law into this. Whatever standards you have, I'm going to judge you by those things. And you see how we are in trouble. You see how inconsistent we are. That, that we say one thing and we are guilty of those things uh, ourselves. And we forget that. And we're too easy on us. Uh, nobody could stand up against that. Something else about God's judgment is what he says, in, starting in verse 6, there's this emphasis on doing, on doing the word. Uh, God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who, by persistence in doing good, seek glory and honor and mortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger what Paul seems to be saying is if, if you're doing good and you're doing it by faith and you're following God and following his laws, life is going to go good for you, well for you. If you're, if you're not, life is going to go bad for you. And there's something about doing. Look at verse 13 again. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared, who will be declared righteous. It's one thing to hear and understand and comprehend and pass the Sunday school test about the law. It's another thing to be a doer of the law and to putting that law into practice. At this point, you're thinking, well, I thought salvation was by grace. What's this talk about doing and about, sounds like you're talking about works in terms of salvation. I thought... You know, it's by grace. Jesus died in my place, and I'm forgiven, and we're good to go. If I, if I believe that, what is doing and following uh, have to do with anything? What does it have to do with my salvation? My mother-in-law used to live in, in Florida, and like every Floridian, she had an orange tree in her, her backyard. And uh, this orange tree produced fruit. It produced oranges, grew off that plant. Or off that tree. And every time I went back and, and I would see that tree, that's kind of how you know it's alive. Because it was bearing fruit. Because oranges were being produced off that tree. That fruit did not make the tree alive. The tree wasn't alive because of it bore fruit. But the fruit was an indicator that the tree was alive. It was the roots. It was the nutrients. That was what was keeping it alive. The fruit was just an expression of that. It's the same in our spiritual lives. Paul's not saying, the Bible's not communicating, you know, salvation is by you doing. Salvation is by faith in Christ. But an indicator of that faith in Christ is doing, is is following, is being obedient. And Paul is saying to us that you will be, that will factor in on that judgment day that your works matter what you do matters how you live today and tomorrow and next week what your priorities are those things matter now let's take a step back here let's take a step back as we close this thing out 
We've talked about uh, the bad news, and Paul is saying, you know, in chapter 2, he's talking about a different class of person in the beginning of chapter 2, separate from the the type of person he's been talking about in chapter 1, and he's still talking about uh, the things that we need to hear before we get to the good news. My question for you to, to maybe reflect on a little bit is, how do I know I know the bad news about myself? How am I understanding? How do, how do I know I believe this enough or I've let this message, the, of the bad news part of the gospel, sink in enough for me? How do I know that? How can I be sure of that? I heard somebody explain it like this, and it, and it was helpful for me. Many of you have heard the phrase, um, hate the sin and love the sinner. You all have heard that phrase before, right? Uh, hate the, we need to hate the sin and, and love the sinner. And it comes from a place where, you know, yes, people do um, uh, things, inappropriate things they shouldn't do, uh, but we still need to love those individuals. They still matter. They're still important. They're created in God's image, and uh, that's, that's a person, and we need to, to love them even though we, we hate what they do, hate what they're doing. What I want to maybe submit to you or challenge you a little bit is if, if we take that phrase, uh, hate the sin and love the sinner, uh, how does this passage speak to us, speak into that truth? Because I think if we let some of the elements, the principles that we see in this passage sink in a little bit, I think what we'll see is we'll see that phrase just a little bit. We'll see something more along of, uh, of this. I need to hate my own sin and love the sinner. Hate our own sin and love the sinner. And I get that from what he says in verse uh, 4. Paul talking about repentance, he says, or do, you not, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing, and this is it, that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? You think about what is repentance? In essence, it's hating sin. It's hating those things. It's, it's turning from that. And that's why I say we hate our own sin and love the sinner. Let me give you this one uh, thought about uh, repentance for your own life, and, and then I'll close in prayer. Maybe you've heard of the movie um, A Beautiful Mind. It's, uh, start, it's about um, a mathematician named John Nash, and he won the, the Nobel Prize in 1994. And what was um, interesting about his story is that he was diagnosed with schizophrenia. And yet he won this uh, award in 94. And for Nash, that, that schizophrenia came out that he would see individuals that would seem completely real to him but were imaginary. Uh, he had an imaginary friend that he talked to, that talked back to him, and they would have this dialogue and had this relationship. And for the longest time in the movie, you thought that was a real person. He had this uh, CIA handler that would send him out on all these clandestine missions, and he thought all that stuff was real. And then they came to realize that that wasn't real, and he was put on this prescription drugs, this medicine, to deal with that. But how he responded to that was it made him dull, it made him mechanical, and he, he felt hollow, and he hated taking these uh, drugs. He hated what it was doing to him. It was just wasn't alive. He wasn't who he was. And so in, in somehow in the movie and with the, the help of his wife, he gets off this prescription drugs and he learns to live life without those drugs. 
And so even into his old age, he has disciplined himself. He has taught himself that when he sees certain images or, or people or hears certain voices, that he's taught himself to say no or to look past those things. Or to, 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 he's disciplined himself to say to himself, those things are not real. They are not there. They are, those things are not true. You may hear those voices, but they're not true. They're not real. They're not really for you. And I think that has a lot to say to us about what repentance is. Repentance is that, that skill where we learn to say no. We're learning to say, yes, I, I, I feel the tug of this, the pull to do this, the pull to respond this way or that way. But I remember God's truth. I remember who he is. I remember that that is not real for me. That does not promise life for me. Paul is trying to get, to get us to see that you've got to see the bad news about yourself. That some of the things you think you're, is true about yourself is not really true, is not really the case. Are you willing to let God's law examine you? Are you willing to let it expose you? Are you willing to be critical of yourself? And I think it's safe for us to do that because the cross says to us, you're accepted. I know how bad you are. I know how, what you've done. I know what you thought. I know what you said. I know what you want to do. And the cross says to us that God still loves you. God still accepts you. Not because you're perfect, but because Christ died a perfect death for you. Would you pray with me? Father, you are rich in mercy. You are rich in kindness. Help us not to be fooled into thinking that your patience with us is not you turning away from us, is not you being indifferent, but we pray that your kindness would lead us to yourself. Would you give us the grace to turn away and turn towards you? Would you uh, help us uh, to see where we are in error so that we can see the beauty of what you've done for us so that the good news can truly be good for our hearts? We ask in Christ's name, amen.